This message has been brought to you by Andrew Graves at Heart of the Father Ministry, Winter Haven. We thank you for the Holy Spirit this morning. And we ask you to come, Lord, this morning. Touch our hearts. Pray that right now. You know, we were in, uh, when we were in uh, revival, um, I'm not talking about pre-organized revival meetings. I'm talking about an outpouring of God's Spirit. And when we were in that time, that period of time in uh, Brownsville in, in Pensacola, Steve Hill used to start every evangelistic message he had with having everyone say, Lord Jesus, speak to my heart, change my life. So let's pray that this morning. Father, speak to my heart. Change my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Could we cut the music off? Thanks, Jake. Okay, thank you. The reason I'm doing that is because I don't want anything else to influence our emotions this morning. And so sometimes it's good to have that, um, but I just feel like this morning, I just, I want to depend on the Holy Spirit. It, it's Him that has to speak to our hearts this morning. Sometimes you have messages that are um, messages that are a revelation of God's power and His love and are, are messages that everyone can get excited about. And then there's other times when there's messages where God is saying something, and it's not necessarily the most exciting thing that you want to hear. But if you look through the New Testament, I think you're going to find that most of what was written there was teaching. Okay, and there's a lot of other things. There's a lot of, of um, stories that we can uh, draw upon of how Jesus interacted with people and, and the healing and deliverance and, and, and those things. There's stories all the way through the book of Acts, right, of how we see the Holy Spirit empowering the early church. And then we come to the letters of Paul, and most of the New Testament is Paul, are Paul's letters, right? And most of what Paul does is teach. And so we, we do need to, to do that when the Lord is leading. And I'd already been thinking uh, and praying about this. I, I had no idea. Derek, we're going to pray here before we get into it. I need to pray for Derek before I forget. But Derek um, thinks he has a case of food poison, perhaps but he's not able to keep anything down, so he's not here this morning. Ray had already planned to not be here. It's their anniversary um, today. So, yeah. I think it's, let's say 12 years, I think. And Annette and I just um, celebrated our 20th year on Wednesday. So, good week for anniversaries. Um, but that having been said... There was no plan for this morning. But you know, it says to be ready in season and out of season, right? And even though I didn't know that this was going to happen, I had been planning and preparing. And what I want to do is carry on in Ephesians. Now, we're, we've been in Ephesians on Wednesday nights. And, you know, I, I don't feel like this is an accident this morning. Because I think this is something everyone needs to hear, not just those that can come out on a Wednesday or choose to come out on Wednesday. 
And unfortunately, even here, I think, we have a, or there can be, a mentality of Sunday morning Christianity, where churches are fuller on Sunday than they are on Wednesday. And again, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? So he's the same on Wednesday as he is on Sunday. And so I, I feel that's part of what's going on here, that this message is important, and therefore it's, it's important for the whole body to hear. And so what I, I want to do is just kind of read. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to give the kind of background I normally do because I don't want to spend too long or get too distracted. But I'm just going to say something for a minute or two on the preceding verses so that you have the context for where we're at, right, for those of you that haven't been able to make it or uh, couldn't be here. So we're in Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to start reading at verse 17. So as you turn there, um, just a reminder, who's Paul writing to? Ephesus. Who's he writing to in Ephesus? The church, the believers. Okay, so he's writing to the believers. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. So Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, and he is describing those who are Gentiles, those who are not believers. And so just Look at some of the things he's saying. There's a futility in their mind. The way that they process things, it's futile. It's empty. Their understanding is darkened. In other words, even though they're thinking and processing things, there's a darkness over that. There's no light. There's no revelation. When we talk about light, we're talking about revelation, right? They're alienated from the life of God. Because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. And again, the whole issue here is an issue of the heart. Paul's talking about mind and heart. But the whole issue here is their minds darkened because their heart is blind. Okay, in, in the New Testament and in Christianity, it's the heart with which we see, not the mind. Okay, we can get pulled back into a very worldly and humanistic way of living our Christian lives even. And particularly in our culture and in the West because we're so into our heads. And social media does not help that at all. Because everybody else is into their heads, into their thinking, into their emotions, into their feelings. Right? But it's not. It's darkened. It's futile. All of those things. So Paul's listing all of those things and saying, this is the Gentiles, this is those who are lost. And then he says this in verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ. Okay, and he doesn't say you have not so learned about Christ. Okay, it's not knowledge about who Jesus is. 
which again, I think we're really good at in church. We've, we, and, and people can come to church and not know Jesus, but know about him. Okay, but Paul's saying here, it's not about knowing about Jesus. He says, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. As the truth is in Jesus. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And so I touched on this just real briefly last week with baptism. Okay. We are changed and transformed by our hearts being enlightened. But then we have to have our minds renewed. So the process of Jesus coming alive in us is a process by which we allow our minds to be renewed according to the truth and revelation that we've received in our hearts. So that's the kind of the background. That's why Paul's going. He's saying, this is how the Gentiles are living, but you shouldn't be living like this. And it's not just a challenge, it's a promise. It's a challenge and a promise. He's challenging them to say, don't live like that any longer. But it's almost, it's always, it's a promise also. But you did not so learn Christ. So he's saying, this isn't you. You need to believe that and receive that. This is not you. If you have received Christ, you don't have to live like that anymore. And then he gets into the nitty-gritty, which is where um, we want to go this morning. And we may not want to go, but I believe that's where the Lord is taking us this morning. And, and there may be some resistance um, to this. Um, it's not something I, you know, every one of us, I think, even the leadership, we need to engage with these things and be challenged by these things. Because the body needs to truly represent who Jesus is. And my heart, I think the saddest thing last year was not all of the political things that we saw going on, for me personally, was not all of the political machinations we saw going on. It wasn't the COVID. The saddest thing for me was when news filtered through that Ravi Zacharias had been living a lie. So Paul says here, so again, that's the context, okay? But you have not so learned Christ. And then he says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So there's a putting on of Christ. And that's how our minds are renewed. We need to constantly engage with what Jesus is saying. And put that on and wear that. You know, if you need to, if there's an area you're struggling with, grab a hold of what God's Word says. You know it's the truth. Okay, meditate on it so that it comes from your heart and, mani- and, and starts a process in your mind. Speak it out. Pray it out. Engage with it. We're not very good at doing this, honestly. We read it and say, oh yeah, I get that up here, right? I get that. But that's not getting it. It's going from here to here that's really getting it. So this is the first thing Paul says when he starts to get into the practicalities of it. Therefore, 
put away lying. That's the first thing Paul says. It's the first thing he addresses. Put away lying. Who's he speaking to? The church. What does that mean? I think that means he's addressing something that's going on in the church. And he's saying, this is not you. But you didn't learn Christ. And so that's what we're going to step into this morning. Actually, I'm just going to kind of step aside just for a second and pray for Derek before I forget. Because I'm liable to once we start to really um, engage with this. And, um, and then... Um, make a place for us to actually, for all of us individually to actually engage with that at the end of the word this morning. So, Father, we just lift Derek to you now, Father. Um, Lord, this is not disconnected from truth, Lord. We know the truth that is in you, and we know your purposes and your promises, Lord. Um, Even over Derek's life, Father, so many promises, so much purpose over his life. And so, Father, We thank you that you have spoken to us regarding healing and wholeness. And we thank you, Father, that in Christ Jesus, we can lift him to you. And we can declare this morning that by your stripes we're healed. And so, Father, we cover Derek with your blood this morning. We ask you to wash him thoroughly in your cleansing and healing blood this morning and renew and restore him and lift him up, Father. Eradicate, Lord, any poison that's in his body, Father. Let the purity of your presence and your word, Lord, let your purity drive out any impurities, Father, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so, therefore put away lying. The first thing that I want to look at this morning in the context of putting away lying, and it may seem a rather obvious thing to say, God does not lie. Numbers 23, 19, we read that God is not a man that he should lie. We read the same thing in uh, Samuel, 1 Samuel 15. Um, Samuel's actually talking to Saul, and Saul has gone past the point of no return with, with God in terms of the, the uh, kingship. And in 1 Samuel 23, 29, we read a very similar thing. Sorry, 1 Samuel 15, 29. So Samuel, and this is verse 28. So Samuel said to Saul, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel, that's Jehovah, God, right? The strength of Israel. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. This is confirmed in Titus in the New Testament. Titus is not the easiest book 
in the world to find. It's after Timothy. Titus 1 verse 2. Let me read 1 and 2. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness. So, in the context of what he's about to say here is the context of truth. In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. So, we read that God does not lie, but we also read that God cannot lie. In other words, it's completely against His nature to lie. Completely inconsistent with who God is. We see this even in the context of the way that God created the world, right? Because the opposite of God not lying is what? Truth, right? That he's the God of all truth. And there's a power to the truthfulness of God's word. So we we understand, how did God make the world? In Genesis, how did he make the world? Spoke it. He spoke it into existence, right? We read in Psalm 33, verse 6, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. So he spoke the whole world that we know into existence. Okay? Psalm 33. Go forward to Psalm 119. Verse 88. This was a revelation I got when probably 23, 24 years ago. And I was in my my bedroom. It was one of the clear, one of the the times when I heard God's voice clearly. And he'd given me certain promises. And that morning I heard him say, how was the world created? And my response was the same, by your word. And then he said this to me, do you think I am any less faithful with my promise to you In other words, what God was saying, this world continues day by day, hour by hour, second by second. It continues because God is faithful to his word. Because that's the truth. And until God says otherwise, his word is the faithfulness that continues to keep everything in motion, everything alive, everything working. His word is eternal. His word is faithful. It's because he doesn't lie that the world continues, that the earth continues to spin and the sun continues to come up, right? Because God's word is so truthful, so faithful, that it sustains everything. Once he said it, that's the way things are and and will continue to be. And so we need to establish that to start with. I think it's going to become more important. I mean, it seems obvious, but it's going to become more important why that is important to understand that, to get that revelation. Again, the, the revelation needs to come from here. I know we're speaking words this morning, 
And there's a process that goes on in our minds. But as, as we're talking about some of these things, I also feel the truthfulness of it here. There's something that goes beyond me putting words together. I know this is true. And I know this is true not because my mind has figured out it's true. There's a deeper place of knowing truth than your minds. Thank God there is. Because our minds are limited in what we can process. If we can only believe what we can figure out, we're in trouble. So there has to be a deeper place of knowing truth. And that's where we engage with the Holy Spirit. That's why the day of Pentecost was so important. That's why it's so important continuing on through history up until the present day that we're engaging with that idea. And it's not just an idea, right? It's a person. We're engaging with the person of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to get, I could easily get off on a sidetrack here, but this is why there are two witnesses to Jesus. I mean, we've, we've gone through this several times here. And so I don't want to go through the whole thing again. But the Word and the Spirit are the two witnesses to Jesus. Moses and Elijah, the two witnesses that are in Zechariah and in Revelation. There has to be, those two witnesses have to be present any revelation we get of God through Jesus Christ. The Word and the Spirit. So, the second point I would like to look at this morning is, what are the source of whys? Because again, I think if we we get that, where those lies are coming from, the source of them, we can cut off that supply. But if we don't think about that, if we just think it's okay to do that, if we rationalize that away, we will continue to lie. And And it's more serious than we realize. I'm going to get into some of that this morning. But it is more serious than you realize. There's no such thing as a little white lie. That's a lie. (laughs) Turn to John 8, verse 44. So Jesus is having a conversation with um, the, the Jewish leaders. And um, chapter 8, where he talks about Abraham, and he ultimately says, um, I am. And has that, there's that revelation of who Jesus really is there, that it's undeniable. Uh, and it's so undeniable that um, when he, as soon as he said that, they took up stones to kill him. So for them, there was no misunderstanding what he was saying. It wasn't arbitrary. When he said... I am. And what he was saying was, he's the same God of truth. Um, and so, but prior to this, he's having this conversation with them. And he is delineating between them saying that they are children of God, the Father, and he isn't, and him saying that he is the Son of God. And this is what he says to them, you are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. 
He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks it, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. Acts chapter 5, verse 3. Before we get to that, you can be turning there. But we read, right, that Satan is the father of all lies. So let that sink in for a minute. Okay, we've, we've looked at who God is in, in terms of truth. And God cannot lie. And then we read that Satan is the father of all lies. That's challenge, that should be challenging us right there. Then we see in the early church, we see in, in Acts chapter 5, we see Ananias and Sapphira, who at that point, people in the church, they were all selling houses, selling their possessions. They were bringing everything, laying it at the apostles' feet. And, um, and they were dividing it evenly between everybody. And so people had been selling properties and Ananias and Sapphira were getting in on this. They sold the property, but they didn't give everything to the Lord. And I don't think the issue is that they didn't give everything to him. The issue was that they said they had when they didn't. So if they'd only given 60%, but said they were given 60%, I don't think we would have had the same conclusion to the story. The issue wasn't them choosing how much they were going to give or not give. The issue was that they lied. And this is how serious it was in Acts chapter 5. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? There again we see the source of the lie. Why has Satan filled your hearts to lie to the Holy Spirit? And keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. And then you know, or if you don't, you can read it. The rest of the story is Ananias falls down dead. And then Sapphira, his wife, comes in. And, and uh, Peter asks her the same question, not, her not knowing what had gone on. And she lied too and fell down dead. And they, they buried them both. I think in the early church, one of the things we can take from that is that God took lying pretty seriously. Particularly lying in the presence of God, lying when the Holy Spirit was moving and working. Again, just a reminder, Peter says, you lied to the Holy Spirit. Now, when we read that story, we're like, no, he lied to Peter, Right? No. I mean, he did, but ultimately, it's our relationship with God. Anytime we say or do anything to somebody else or with somebody else, God's not separated from that as believers. Right? Everything we do, we should be doing as unto him, like with the mindset that God is present in everything that we do. So yes, he lied, and she lied to Peter. 
But in doing that, they both lied to God also, which is crazy, really. I mean, to think that we can get away, that God is who He is, and we think we can lie, and He doesn't know that. I mean, once we step into that place of lying, we're stepping into a very deluded place. Because we've already determined either that God is going to turn a blind eye or that God can't see it. So let's not be under any illusion this morning where the source of those lies are. We are being influenced by Satan when we lie. Here's what Isaiah says. In Isaiah 63. And so, the, this, the, this, the second part of Isaiah is all of, it's probably the greater prophetic revelation of Jesus that we have in the Old Testament. I mean, Jesus is present from Genesis to Malachi. But Isaiah, there's a unique prophetic uh, edge to Isaiah. And some of the more specific um, prophetic words concerning Jesus' death, particularly, and salvation are, are to be found in Isaiah. So Isaiah says this in Isaiah 63, verse 8, for he said, surely they are my people. So he's talking about the remnant. He's talking about those who are saved. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not lie. So he became their savior. So there's an identity there in God. When we are children of God, there's an identity there in terms of truth, in terms of light. And there's no identity in Christ that has any connection with lying and there are some associated things with lying that I would like to touch on this morning as well.
So Paul's already talked about uh, this, and the reason he's bringing up this up in Ephesians, right, again, is because there's this contrast. He's making this contrast between the unbeliever, the Gentile, and the, and the person who's saved. And, and it's such a contrast. And he's making it uh, so obvious there's, there's no subtlety about the way that he's doing that. Um, even the language that he uses is, is not normal language. But you have not so learned Christ. It's not a, uh, it's not a fluid transition. It, he's, he's written it that way to gain our attention, to, to actually kind of place a marker there between this and that. So in Romans chapter 1, he's writing again. It's a, it's, it's a similar thing in some ways. In Romans chapter 1, he's writing this whole um, first chapter. He, he's, he's dealing with the lost. And, and the reason he's doing that is he's saying that there's nobody that's without excuse. When it comes to believing in God, when it comes to believing that God exists, nobody has an excuse. And he says this in Romans 1.25. And he's talking about um, those that have given themselves up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts. So again, we see where the origin of these things is, right? It's in the heart giving themselves up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. So one of the things that's happening there when we lie is we have distance ourselves from God, we've separated ourselves from the truth that is in God, and we are now dealing with a very human nature and a very a connection with people who are lost. We serve the creature rather than the creator. And there's many reasons we can lie. Some of those are we're self-serving ourselves Others, it can be that we're serving other people. But what is abundantly clear is that when we do that, we're not serving God. So we've exchanged. There's been an exchange that's taken place. That's not an exchange you want to make, right? It's not a fair exchange. What you're losing does not compare with what you gain. And even if you happen to be somebody who is very politically high up and just one lie will gain you a powerful position and will gain you all kinds of financial security, you could gain the whole world, right? But if you lost Christ, there's no exchange that's worth it. And that's what Paul's saying here. That's what happens when you lie. There's an exchange that goes on. And you're not aware of that sometimes because you're focused on the situation. And I think what happens is we take our eyes off of Jesus. And the reason we lie is because there's a situation and we're trying to control the situation.
Turn to 1 John chapter 2. So this is John writing this, okay? This is not Paul. Some people have issues with Paul. Some people think Paul's very severe, very hard, okay? So I don't agree with that. But let's go to John, right? Because we know who John is, right? John's all about love. Man, he's all about love. This is, <laughs> and this is what John says in verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Who is a liar but he who denies Jesus is the Christ? Now, somebody might say, well, I lied about something, but that didn't change who I believe Jesus to be. Well, that's not what John's saying. John says that when we lie, we deny Jesus. And let me say, I think that John, uh, I mean, obviously it's God's word, so it doesn't matter what I think. I shouldn't say I think, right? John's saying this, this is the truth. Why is it the truth? Because Jesus is the truth. Anything that's not the truth is inconsistent with him and denies him. We, we need to talk about this because I think for too long, um, I was in a, one of the chapel services at Southeastern last year. I had, I had required myself to go to at least two. And I went, it was one of the last ones, Dr. Ingle was speaking, who's the president of Southeastern. And he was talking about lying. And he had these statistics. And they'd done a survey, 209 students that went to a Christian university, or Christian universities, I'm not sure which ones they chose, who they were, but they were Christian students in terms of identifying as Christians, right? 209 students. Out of those 209, they asked them all the question, is there any situation in which it's okay to lie? How many of those students do you, say, do you think said there's absolutely no situation where it's okay to lie? Ten? A handful. I think it was five. This is why this is important. We have almost an epidemic level in the West, in, Christian, in Christianity in the West, that will excuse lying and that will use all kinds of excuses and I think part of the problem is we don't understand. We have disconnected our truth. And again, this is our culture, right? It's my truth. Like there's different truths. I was listening to somebody debating a, a trans person on YouTube uh, yesterday. And, and ended up having to turn it off um, after about five minutes because I was frustrated. Um, but again, the whole thing... The, the, where they were going, where the trans person was going with this was, it's my truth. Well, that's fine if we are, if all there is on the, in this world is us. 
I mean, I still think there's a wider truth outside of the individual. But the issue is, no, God exists. And you can't say it's your truth because you don't have access to the whole, whole truth. But this is, it's really important that we understand this. He who is a liar is the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. We are denying his lordship. We're denying who he is. If we as believers take on his name and then we lie, we deny him. This is hard because I know, I I know statistically, but I also know from experience that even in our community, there have been situations where people have lied to each other. And this is why this is so important. It's so the heavy heart that I experienced that, just as I did with um, Ravi Zacharias. That was so heavy the minute that I heard that. There was such a heaviness about that because of his, the amount of people that he'd influenced. But it's with a heavy heart when I hear that in our own communities. And ultimately, there's some other things that I want to look at. But ultimately, we need to recognize that this is about Jesus. It's not about our individual situations. This is about Jesus. We can go back to the songs that we sang, right? And you've got to pay attention. You've got to listen to what God is doing. Because the songs that we sing in worship are not, okay, that's worship, now this is the word. There's a flow of what the Spirit is doing. And we sang these songs, come and take your place at the center of my heart. But God is not a liar. He's not a man that he should lie. And the one that lies denies Jesus Christ. So it's very inconsistent for us to be singing that and then being okay with lying to somebody about something. We were singing hallelujah for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And again, where does he reign in the believer? In his heart. How can God reign if God cannot lie and we lie? Why do people lie? Fear. Yes. Why else might someone lie? Pride. Guilt. Mm -hmm. I think guilt and fear kind of kind of work together there. Okay, we're afraid that somebody will see. Greed, yes. Greed. Mm-hmm. And ultimately control, right? We control the situation by defining what the truth is. If we are fearful of what somebody else might think, if we are guilty about certain things that we don't want people to know about, 
there's an issue with trust. If we choose to lie to cover those things up, then what we're really saying is we don't trust you, God. And we're going to handle this. And we'll handle it our way. And you can take care of the other things and you can make sure I get to heaven when I die. But this situation is too big for you. Or you might choose to actually let somebody know that I did that. And I'm not okay with that. All of these things, there are issues with trust ultimately. And the thing is, not only do you break trust with God anyway, so like we have an issue with trust, we can't trust God, so we're going to lie to cover the situation up. But then, now you're in a worse situation, because not only is that situation messed up, but now you've messed up the relationship with God. You've denied Him, separated yourself from Him, allowed darkness and on all of the other things that Paul talks about, right? Futility of your mind. Because again, when you lie, you're operating in the futility of your mind because you think you've solved the situation and the situation is not solved, especially if that person finds out you were lying. Now the situation is 10 times worse. And not only that, but you've messed up in terms of your relationship with God. And thank God He's a God of mercy and grace and forgiveness and restoration. But why would you want to do that? I think we don't understand what we're doing sometimes. In other times, I think it truly does represent where we're at with God and who we really believe Him to be. And there needs to be a correction in that. There's, there's multiple levels to this as well. Okay, Proverbs talks about flattery. Proverbs 26, 28. And so we can flatter someone with the truth, right? I mean, I think sometimes we're pretty good at doing that. I mean, I've, I don't know. I've seen that in church multiple times. This is what Proverbs says. And notice the connection here. Because oftentimes in Proverbs, in a verse, it'll pair things together, right? Proverbs 26, verse 28. A lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it. And a flattering mouth works ruin. So the writer to the Proverbs there is pairing those two things. And really what it comes down to is lying is not about propositional truths. Okay? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying there? When you, when you lie, it's not about making a statement. That's what we do, but there's much more going on than a propositional truth. Jesus Christ is the truth. That's why I say that truth is more than making a propositional statement. You can make a propositional statement that is true, but not the truth. You can make a propositional statement that is true, but is not the truth. Let me give you an example. Let's say that there's some ice cream in the fridge, and you have an eight-year-old, and your eight-year-old loves ice cream, and you have to leave the house, and you've maybe left a babysitter or something, I don't know, but you've left the house, and their instructions are, your instructions to your eight-year-old are, don't eat any ice cream. 
Okay. Now, also in the fridge, there happens to be maybe a couple of apples. And this eight-year-old loves apples as well. So the eight-year-old eats an apple and then helps himself to a huge helping of ice cream. And you come back, and you know the ice cream's been uh, messed with, right? You can tell. And you ask the child, did you have some ice cream? And the child says, I had an apple. True statement. But what they're doing there is they're avoiding the truth. In other words, the truth has become a lie. So this is not just about making propositional statements regarding truth. This is about Jesus being the truth. And there being a larger context than what we say or don't say. And it's the heart that God is after. And somebody who's prepared to lie, there's something not right in their heart. Because this is where truth ultimately emanates from. In James chapter 3, and again, those of you that know the Bible pretty well, James chapter 3 is talking about the tongue. Okay, so James is talking about the tongue in chapter 3. And in verse 14, he says, But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. So here we again, we see something else. The, the root of lies and we know the root is in Satan, right? He's the father of all lies. But one of the ways he does that, and again, James is talking to the church. If you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. And so one of the sources there of lies is bitterness and self-seeking. So it's much bigger than just a propositional statement you make, right? Again, Jesus is the truth. So that's the main reason why it's not about propositional truths. But the other reason is because it's more than just the words you speak. Jesus said it's what's in man's heart that comes out, right? It's not what we put in, in terms of what we eat. But it's what comes out that shows what's really in us. So if what comes out is that we're willing to lie, then the question is, well, what's in there? What bitterness is in there? What self-seeking is in there? This comes back to um, guilt and um, some of the other things we talked about, right? Because it's self-seeking. We're more concerned about either getting things or we're more concerned about what people might think about us. And when we do that, ultimately what we're saying is we're more, important, we're more concerned about what somebody else thinks about us than we are Jesus. Because it's ultimately him that we're denying. It's ultimately him that we're breaking relationship with in that sense. 
You can't play around with the truth. Okay, so again, something being true is not necessarily the truth. Okay, and there are things that can be part truth. And, and we can play that game too. That's what that little child is doing when they said they ate an apple, right? They're using the truth to cover the lie. It's about integrity and honesty. Because that's who Jesus is, again. I want to keep bringing it back to that because this is ultimately, this is ultimately what the issue is in terms of truth and lying. The source of truth, the source of all truth is Jesus. The source of all lies is Satan. And it, we're in a situation, it's kind of interesting that we've got this division down the middle because I'm just like, it's like there's a line being drawn. And it's like, Joshua, choose this day who you're going to serve. Because what you do about lies and truth will determine who you're serving. And it may seem it's just a little thing, but I trust from the word this morning, you can see it's not a little thing. In terms of eternity, these are huge things. Because it has to do with the nature and character of God and the revelation of God and who we present God to be. And you do not want to be someone that has fallen in ministry and it's come to light that you've been lying about things. Because that then taints all the other truths you might have spoken. Don't compromise. You know, I think it, it was probably possible to, to preach a whole message on truth and lies just from the advantages and disadvantages for us as human beings. But you can see the connection here, right, with who God is and with who Jesus is and with who Satan is, that even though you could do that, that's only a very small, our relationships, our interpersonal relationships, the advantages and disadvantages, all of those things are, are small things really compared to who God is and to what God is doing in our lives. Proverbs 23 says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Don't let that well become bitter. Don't let it become bitter waters. Proverbs 10:18 says whoever whoever hides hatred has lying lips. So again you can see there, right? It's not just about the things that you're doing. Um, I mean saying, it's not just about saying something and it being a lie. They're saying if you're hiding hatred in your heart, you're lying. 
So you see this is a very complex issue. I mean, generally speaking, I'm dealing with when we actually articulate a lie and say something specific to somebody else that is not true. But this goes much deeper than that, and this is why it's a heart issue. This is why it's an issue of who Jesus is and not denying him. But but everything being filtered through who Jesus is. Because if it's not, it will go further than you just being willing to say a lie to somebody. It will go to the place where you hide all kinds of things. And where everything you do, is not re- you're not really upfront about it. And I'm just longing for us, for every one of us, to be in the kind of relationship with God and with each other where we can trust each other fully and completely. Because what happens when you do lie to somebody and they find out, that trust is broken. And it's incredibly difficult to actually gain that trust back. I feel privileged because I feel like I learned, not that I don't have other issues, but I feel like God really dealt with me on these things very early in, in life. And I think if Alex and Philip were here, they, they would probably say a lot of things, and they could probably pin out, pinpoint, and Annette is more than able to do this as well, pinpoint my, my weaknesses and the things I'm not good at. But I think if there was one thing they would say is that they knew I would not lie to them that I would tell them the truth. And that's who we need to be, not because it's something good that we're achieving. You know, it's never about me being a good person. But it's because I understood that's who Jesus was. And I understood that he sees everything anyway. Right? So, again, if you're lying to someone, you're lying in full view of Jesus. Nothing is hidden from him. I want to close this morning, um, as far as the, the teaching part's concerned, where that's, that's all I have. There may be more on Wednesday. I don't know. We might be a part two. It's such an important, it's so important. It's so important. Because it's, being saved is then about It's continually being saved, right? God continually wants us to be saved. It's it's about Christ continually being manifest in our lives. But what I'd like to do this morning is give us an opportunity to respond. There may be people here that you have lied to this morning. If there are, then you need to put that right. If there are people you've lied to and they're not here this morning, then you need to go and put that right as soon as you can. But you need to also put that right with God. There needs to be repentance. And there needs to be a receiving of this word this morning to the point where this is Christ Jesus being formed in you. To where going forward, it's impossible for you to lie. Is it, is it possible to get to that place? 
I believe it is, because it's impossible for God to lie. There is a commitment. There is a place where we can commit to certain things. But it's going to take some work sometimes. You know, again, we're in this microwave culture where everything has to happen immediately. And, and that's part of the issue because we let these things slide. We don't work on character issues. And we have to because it's Christ being formed in us. And if we're going to go out and evangelize, what are we evangelizing? What are we bringing people into? If we're willing to lie, I mean, we need to be consistent in our walk. And there's going to be believers, there's going to be people that come to faith that are going to be baby Christians and are, who are very uh, easily influenced, like children, right? I wanted to say this too, sort of just going forward. Some of the, in my experience, it's also been there have been parents who lied. And I want to say that that to me is actually devastating in terms of the, 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 the formation of your child's character. Because you've just made a place for them to think it's okay to do that. And, and that really needs to be addressed. There needs to be a commitment, not only to the Lord Jesus, obviously first and foremost, but there needs to be a commitment for your children's sakes. I cannot tell you that I ever heard my father or my mother lie about anything. And I think there's a reason why that was formed in me. So I, if there's business that you need to transact with God this morning, then you can stay in your seats and do that, or you can come up to the front. If there are things you need prayer about, that's fine. But I tend to think this morning, this is an issue with you, between you and God. This is not something I can pray over you. This is a commitment that you need to make to God. These are things that you need to get right between you and God. And these are things that need to be put right between you and other people. There needs to be restoration in relationships. There needs to be a place of honesty and truth and integrity in relationships if we're going to grow as families, both individual families and church family. And I want to just give the Holy Spirit room. It's the Holy Spirit who has to do this. He's the one who has to administer truth. If it's not the Holy Spirit, if all you're hearing my words this morning, that's going to make little difference. If you know the Holy Spirit has been dealing with you this morning, then come to the front, come to the front and get it put right. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message has been a blessing to you. Our sermons can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. To contact us or find other resources, go to www.hotfmwinterhaven.com.